Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. I reckon I'm going to have a hard time making sure everyone's not on their phones, make, finding out when the uh, announcement from Mr. McGowan will begin. Well, it is good to be here, and it is a little bit different. Uh, firstly, I'm sitting on a chair, which is a little bit different, and that's more to do with the fact that a lot of people are watching online, and apparently when I preach, I walk too much, and uh, so it's good that I can just be still, and now the cameras can... Um, focus in. So it is a little bit weird, a little bit different, a little bit uncertain, but we still hold on to the truth that comes from this word, but also the truth that we've experienced. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into it. This is a great good news encounter in the book of Acts this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for a little bit. Like Sarah mentioned a little bit earlier, there's a lot going on. So let's bow and pray. Most gracious Father, firstly, we want to uh, just come out to you. There's there's almost a, a heaviness here in this room, um, in, even in this city, Lord, we know we have been blessed uh, beyond uh, what most of the world is experiencing right now. So firstly, Lord, I do want to just uplift uh, India and everything that's happening there, Lord. We turn on our TVs and uh, we are shocked, Lord. And uh, in some ways we, we can be removed from that, Lord, but, but people are suffering over there and um, beyond imagination, Lord. So we want to just ask, Lord, that there would be, uh, in, in your name, Jesus, a stop to the suffering, uh, the sickness, uh, the pain over there in India, Lord. Uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Um, we pray that you would bring an end to that, Father. Father, we also think uh, on another level, political level, what's happening in Myanmar and uh, the unrest there, Lord, people dying, uh, just for, in many ways, uh, our freedoms that we take for granted every single day, Lord. But we pray, uh, Lord, that you would raise uh, the Christians up in that city to stand strong and, and firm and, and, and be full of faith, Lord. We pray that again and ask that the suffering and the pain in that nation would come to a complete stop as well. That you'd raise up a new generation of leaders uh, godly leaders to lead that country, we ask and pray. Father, we do now want to pray for our own situation, and it's our situation, and there is a, a sense of anxiety or anxiousness, not sure, uncertainty with what's going to happen today with uh, McGowan's, Mr. McGowan's announcement, lockdowns, or we don't know, Lord. Uh, but Lord, again, we just come to you. Uh, Lord, I know that uh, lots of businesses, uh, small businesses have been suffering and uh, there's a whole complexity. Lord, we pray for Mark McGowan, our Premier. Uh, tough decisions, Lord, hard decisions, but just guide him, lead him, Father. He's only uh, human. He obviously makes mistakes as well and, and gets it right. But Lord, we just really pray that you would lead him. And uh, Father, uh, we pray for ourselves, for our friends, our neighbours, and we pray for our city. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we, we come to uh, uh, continue our series, Good News. 
uh, encounters in the book of Acts. I want to start by sharing a a bit of a story. This is a story about a guy named uh, Joshua, or sorry, Jacob Koshby. Jacob Koshby, and uh, he grew up in Singapore, um, and his family was a fairly stable family uh, as he grew up as a child. But as he got a little bit older, he had this, this real desire and this real passion to be successful And for him, success was to uh, earn a large amount of money and get as many possessions as possible. He had this dream to be super, super rich, to be super, super wealthy, uh, and to basically have every kind of car that he wanted, a huge house, all this kind of stuff. And that's what he pursued originally in business, uh, but it it was hard. Uh, it was hard to make money, it was hard to be successful, and so he, he started experimenting with a different way of making money, uh, probably not the right way of making money, uh, and he started to involve himself in criminal, criminal activity and, and started then eventually selling drugs and uh, was actually quite good at it and became very success, uh, successful at selling drugs. And then he got people selling drugs for him, uh, and he became basically a, a drug lord, a heap of people working for him, and, and was actually earning lots and lots of money. So his dream, I suppose, was, was achieved of all the money he was earning, uh, but his life was full of uh, uncertainty. Uh, he was, became a horrible man, and in many ways hated what he had become. But anyway, he, uh, like all good crime novels, he got caught and was sent to jail. I understanding it was quite a long time. It wasn't life in jail, but it was a decent amount of time in jail. Went to jail. Uh, he was a heavy smoker, uh, so he would smuggle in tobacco into the, the, the prison. I don't know how they do that, but they do. And he had a Gideon's Bible, a little Gideon's Bible. And so he would rip out pages of this Gideon's Bible he would put the tobacco in and roll up little cigarettes. Gideon's Bible, perfect for rolling up cigarettes. The perfect size and a nice textured piece of paper. And so he, he would do this and smoke these Gideon c- cigarettes. Um, and then one day he is smoking this cigarette uh, straight from the Gideon Bible and he fell asleep uh, while the cigarette was still lit. It only just lit and he fell asleep in his cell and and then about two or three hours later, he woke up from his sleep and uh, the, the cigarette had obviously gone out and, and there was just a fragment left of this, this piece of paper, the, the, the cigarette that he rolled up from the Bible. And for some reason, normally he wouldn't think anything of it, he actually got the piece of paper and read what was on that piece of paper. And as he looked and read, he unrolled it, and he looked and read, and it said, Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's what was the text on the, the Gideon cigarette that was left uh, smouldering. And he's thinking, who is this Saul guy? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I, I want to know what this is. He was intrigued. So he asked for another Bible, um, and this time not to smoke, this time to actually have a look and read. And so he read this story of, of Saul and uh, his conversion, that, he, that this guy Saul, who was this person who used to kill Christians, actually becomes a Christian. You remember a few weeks ago, we, we looked at this, Saul, 
uh, is this Jewish man. In fact, he's referred to as a Jew among Jews, which means he was one of the best Jews. He was incredibly religious, like he kept every law. He was, he was top-notch. He was part of the, the group known as the Pharisees, and so that was kind of an elite group which he was part of. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, so his genes were great. So this, this guy was, was top-notch Jewish uh, personality. And his job basically became, or his passion became, his, his vision was to get rid of Christians. He, he didn't like what they were doing. He thought it was against the Jewish uh, hypocrisy, and not hypocrisy, a heresy. And so he's, he said, right, he set out to destroy that. And if you remember in chapter 7, Stephen, one of the first Christian uh, disciples, is martyred. And we read that Saul is right there. He's the one that actions that. Anyway, um, Saul becomes a Christian, and we're going to look at that story today. This hater of Christianity, this guy that wanted to stomp out uh, Christians, uh, actually becomes a Christian. And, and our mate Jacob Koshby, as he was smoking this cigarette, he finds this one little verse, and he reads this story, and he starts reading about uh, Paul, Saul, who is Paul as well. He becomes a Christian, and he thinks to himself, wow, if that guy can be forgiven. If that guy can be shown grace by God, then I can as well. Surely I can. Because he knew he'd made lots of mistakes in his life. And he thought, wow, I can become a Christian as well. And so right there in his cell, full of tears, crying on his hands and knees, he becomes a Christian. He becomes a Christian. And his life dramatically changes, so much so that in prison, he actually starts sharing the gospel and, and starts, people start responding to this message of Jesus and he's converting people left, right and centre. He gets out of, out of prison and, and he gets his life back on track. He gets married and he go, goes to Bible college. Uh, he becomes a missionary and now even today he's a pastor and he travels all around the world and, and, and mainly uh, uh, Far East Asia and into India and all that kind of stuff. But, but incredible story of conversion and transformation. And he tells people wherever he goes, I love this, he said, who would have believed that I could find the truth of God by smoking the word of God? Who would have thought I could find the truth of God by smoking the word of God? That's his story. This morning, we continue our series looking at good news stories in the book of Acts. Our theme for 2021 is goodness. Goodness. We want to experience goodness. We want to show goodness. We want to demonstrate goodness. We want to be a church that has a culture of goodness. And that is shown through kindness and empathy and compassion. That is shown by being people-focused and outreach-focused. That is shown by lots of different ways. But one of, the, one of the primary ways is through the good news. Nothing demonstrates God's goodness greater than the good news. That God loves us so much that he comes to us with this good news, the gospel of good news. And so this morning we look at Acts chapter 9 and we see this conversion of Saul, the persecutor of Christianity, become a Christian. So let's have a look at it up here on your screens or if you're watching on TV, uh, on TV, online, you will see it in front of you as well. Let me just get this thing primed. We've had a little bit of trouble with this. Is it working? 
Oh, that was the verse that I was going to mention, Galatians. Actually, it's worth mentioning because, like I said before, I get paid by how many Bible verses I bring up. And so Galatians 1, 13 to 14, oh, it might be 3 to 4. This is, this is Saul. He actually says this about himself. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So he's saying, this is what I used to do before I became a Christian, before I had this, this experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He hated Christians. He tried to destroy them. So let's read here now in Acts chapter 1. Uh, golly gosh, this thing is temperamental. Aaron, do you want to just control it for me? Let's go Acts chapter 1. There it is. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Now, we, we touched on this, I think, last time because it used a similar language that, that Saul was breathing out murderous threats. The imagery here of anger is enlarged nostrils, snorting through swollen nostrils. I don't know if you've ever, if your kids get mad and their nostrils become the size of watermelons. That's, that's what it's kind of saying, but actually it's referring to an animal. When an animal is at mad, it lifts up its mouth. You can see its teeth. Its nostrils are huge. That's what Paul is doing. Paul, or sorry, Saul is a rampaging wild beast. It goes on to say that this wild rampaging beast, Paul, with watermelon-sized nostrils, murderous threats against who? The Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I love the phrase here, or the term used to describe Christians. Uh, they described as people of the way. And in fact, through the book of Acts, we, uh, the, the author, who is Luke, describes Christians as people of the way. He describes them as disciples, describes them as saints. He describes them as people who are called on God's name, uh, brethren or brother and sister. The, the, the term Christian actually doesn't appear till late in chapter 11. We get this, this term used that we are Christians. But I, love being, I actually love this term, people of the way. Jesus says he's what? Jesus said he's the way, the truth and the life. We follow the person of the way, that is, that is Jesus. And so we, we get to this point in the story. Saul wants Christians dead. Remember, we talked about two weeks ago that Christianity starts in Jerusalem. Jesus' word says, you will be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and we had this diagram here. There's Jerusalem, the little yellow dot, Christianity. Peter preaches, thousands of people become Christians. Then persecution starts and it starts to spread out. Judea, Samaria, uh, we had the story of Philip and uh, he preaches to the Sumerians and they become Christians. He then goes down to Gaza, which is actually uh, left of the screen down the bottom there. And he has that encounter, as Shane talked about that last week with the, the Ethiopian. And then Jesus says, that's how the gospel go, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as in it spreads right out. And this persecution is doing this. But we read right here that the gospel has already reached Damascus. And Damascus isn't even on this map. I had to get a new map. So there you go, look at that. 
Damascus, far right-hand corner. That's how quickly this is. The gospel is moving quick now. And, and Paul, Saul, who is Paul as well, that's his Roman name, he, he, he uh, is like, if, if it's getting to Damascus already, he has to call a lockdown. If he, if he could call a lockdown, COVID lockdown, he would have, to stop the Christians from spreading out because he's concerned. So he's like, I've got to get to Damascus. Now, Damascus isn't uh, in, in Jerusalem or Judea, um, part of Israel. It's actually up in Syria there. And he, it's, there's a numerous, there's probably about 10 or 12 synagogues. It's actually one of those hubs where people would come from different nations. And he knows if Christianity goes from there, it could spread everywhere. And so he's like, I've got to stop this. I could have stopped this. I don't want to. So it, it, the, the Christianity is, is spreading really, really quick. Let's keep reading now. And, and this is what we read. As he neared Damascus, this is Saul. So Saul is uh, heading towards Damascus, about two weeks journey, over 250 miles, whatever that is in kilometres. He's probably on horseback. He's, he's, he's near Damascus. On his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Oh, I didn't mention this, but actually uh, Saul's conversion is actually mentioned three times in the, in the book of Acts. Now, people say, I say my testimony too many times. Uh, a few people at Lakeside say, Anthony, I could, I could do your testimony. Well, that's okay. But, but Saul, this, his testimony is mentioned three times, chapter 22, chapter 28. No, it doesn't do that with anyone else. This is a significant conversion. And actually, in chapter 22, when Paul's reaccounting it, it's the middle of the day, so the sun is shining. The sun is shining, yet there's a bright light. There's a bright light. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, probably off his horse, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? This was the verse that Jacob was about to smoke. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. You see, uh, at this point, I think Saul knows something uh, incredible is happening. And he probably knows that it's God as well. He's fallen off his horse. He's had this flash of light. In in the account in chapter 28, it's in Aramaic that this voice comes to him. It's an audible voice. Something is going on. He says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And notice the words here. It doesn't say, I am God. If, if he said, I am God, Saul could have said, oh, it's, it's, the God, it's Yahweh. What is the response? Who does he say he is? I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I actually find this quite encouraging as well. Because Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Who was Saul persecuting? Christians. But what is Jesus saying? If you persecute Christians, you persecute me. And, 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 and Jesus is saying there, Christian, you, me, you're with me, you're in me, I'm in you. And if people persecute you, they're persecuting me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. The very fact that, that Jesus says, I am Jesus, when Saul asks him, I reckon Saul would have been like, oh my goodness. Here I am thinking I was doing the right thing, 
But actually, I was doing the, the wrong thing. I've been killing Christians. This Jesus thing is, is real. I've just I've fallen flat on my face. The, the God's here. Who are you? I am Jesus, whom you've been persecuting, Saul. He goes on and says, he replied, this is Jesus speaking, Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. Uh, in the accounts in 22 and 28, they see the flash of light as well. They hear a noise, but they can't interpret what was being said. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So he's blind. Imagine that. He's just had an encounter with God. He's fallen off his horse he can't, he's heard a voice from God. He's been told it's Jesus. He knows that he's been killing Jesus' followers and now he is blind. He opened up his eyes. He could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Jesus personalizes the persecution says, if you persecute my followers, you persecute me. Who are you? Jesus says, I am Jesus. Paul, Saul, who is, who is physically able to see, who has it all together, is actually spiritually blind. He has an encounter with Jesus, and guess what? He is now physically blind. His spiritual eyes have been opened. He's actually become a Christian in this point. He, he said yes to Jesus at that point. And now he can spiritually see, but he cannot physically see. He was once spiritually blind and he could physically see. Now he is spiritually, he can see, but he is physically blind. You see, Saul knew of God. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you know people who are like this. They know of God. They know lots of things about God. Saul knew everything about God. If you did a Bible quiz, he would have got 11 out of 10. He, he, was, he was all over it. But he didn't know God. And actually, that's what Jesus really came to. Uh, one of his pet hates was that people didn't experience and know the, the relationship. This is what it means to have a relationship. It's not all about head knowledge. It's not all about outward appearance. It's about your heart. So, so Saul knew of God, but he didn't actually know God. And Saul hears the voice of God. The same voice that began creation. The same voice that spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. The same voice that said to Lazarus, Lazarus, wake up. Come out of the tomb, Lazarus. The same voice that was on the cross and cried out, it is finished. The same voice that says to his disciples and says to us even today, come and I'll make you fishers of men. The same voice we all want to hear Jesus say to us when we finished our race, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the voice that Saul's hears. And, and, and he hears this voice come from heaven. He knows this is no ordinary voice. Uh, and he, he, he basically goes from being this wild bull to this little lamb. 
Look uh, what John Stott says about this encounter. He says this, John Stott's a, a theologian, English theologian, uh, reformed theologian who I absolutely love. But he says, he who had expected to enter, I love this, uh, he who had expected to enter Damascus in, in the fullness of his pride and prowess. So Saul's going to Damascus thinking, I am going to get those uh, Christians. I'm going to take them out. I'm going to arrest them. I'm going to throw them in jail. He, this is what he's going to do. He had letters from the high priest. He could do all of that. Fullness and prowess as a self-confident opponent of Christ was actually led into it, humbled and blinded, a captive of the very Christ he had opposed. He'd gone there thinking he was going to take out captives, but he now was a captive of Christ. Here's our first little point. I'm not leaving the application points up to you this morning because uh, when I did last time, you guys, you didn't give me much. But anyway, here's my first application point. No one is beyond the grace of God. Turn to the person. No, you can't do that because you've got masks on. You know what I find about the mask? You know when you thought that there was the other person that had coffee breath? Now you wear the mask and you realise you're the person with coffee breath. Uh, no one is beyond the grace of God. Isn't that awesome? We, 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 we say that and it's so cliche. Here's the truth of it. We, we can't explain or even uh, share how bad Saul was. Saul was, he was trying to do the right thing. He was religious, but he was, he was persecuting Christians, killing Christians. Yet he, Jesus, reaches out and gives him grace. No one is beyond the grace of God. I don't know your story. I know my story. I know the things I think. I know the things I've done. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know your story. And you may not think that God is willing to forgive the things that you've done. You may think, God, I'm not good enough for you. You may think, God, there's no way I can, I can do that. And it's probably, it's true. You're not good enough. The thing is, you don't have to be. All you have to do is accept the invitation. Jesus has paid the price. No one is beyond the grace of God. Now, you may be beating yourself up and you may be thinking, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and I don't know your story. Stop crucifying Jesus more than once. <laughs> he died once to make you good enough. The very fact that he died once was to make you justified before, before God that you can have freedom through Jesus. Just like Jacob, uh, Koshi, the, the, the Gideon smoking man, just like Saul, just like lots of different people, God's grace is more than sufficient for you. There's a great story of a, a man who uh, lived a long time ago, and uh, he grew up in, a, again, a, a fairly stable house. Actually, it was a Christian house, is, is my understanding, but he didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And uh, anyway, he became a, quite an angry and quite a bitter man, uh, filled with hate and, and, again, a similar desire to, to uh, earn lots of money. Now, this is going back a while because he became uh, a commander of a slave ship. And so he would take the slave ships over to uh, the coast of Africa, pick up slaves, and uh, they would chain them together, and they would cram them into these ships like, like sardines. And he shares how when these slaves would become sick, they literally would throw them overboard 
to be eaten by birds and the fish. And he did this for many, many years. He became the commander of a ship. He actually became an owner, selling slaves. And then one day he has this encounter, actually while he's on one of these boats. There's a big storm raging around and and he has this encounter with, with Jesus and he becomes a Christian. He remembers the faith of his childhood, I suppose, and, and he actually becomes a Christian. And over a period of time, a, a few years, he, uh, God brings people around him and they disciple him and he grows in his faith. He, he removes himself from the slave industry. He actually studies and becomes a minister filled with remorse, guilt and shame. He actually decides that, no, I need to not just stop being a slave trade owner, I need to fight against it. And, and, he, and he pursues legislation to bring the slave trade to an end. And, and he did this for, for many years. He actually was also a very good preacher, becomes a very good preacher, and he actually was a very good songwriter, wrote many, many hymns. You may know one of his hymns, one very famous hymn, let me read the, the words. I don't know if you know it yet. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now, now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Newton, who was a slave trade owner, he wrote that hymn. And when you know the backstory, those words are quite powerful, aren't they? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. This guy treated humans, people like animals. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. Does that sound familiar? Saul, blind, but now I see. No one is beyond the grace of God. Let's keep reading Acts 10, verse 16, uh, as we continue the, the story. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. So this is Ananias, who's a Christian. He's a a Jewish man who has converted to Christianity. And I actually think he's one of the stars of the story. Obviously, Saul, we, we love Saul, but I think he's one of the stars, if not the star of the story. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. What a name for a street. I'm assuming it was straight. Apparently, it's still there. Has anyone been there? Apparently, you can still still go there. Uh, Straight Street and ask for a man from, from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying. So Saul is praying. Imagine what, imagine what he is praying. What, what would Saul be praying now? I, I, I can only guess. We don't know, but I think it's a fairly safe guess that he would maybe be praying and for forgiveness, for, for all that pain and destruction he's caused and, and his self-righteousness. And he's, just, he's praying. As, he's fasting as well because he's not eating. And um, so he's praying to God. This is a real conversion. Uh, and, and, and in this vision, he says, Go to this man named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him 
to restore his sight. So Saul's got a vision from God that Ananias is going to come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered. Now, I think Ananias is quite polite, to be honest. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's actually stating the facts. God, are you sure about this? Is this a trap? This this Saul guy has been causing a lot of pain and destruction. He's actually got letters from the high priest to come up here and do the same to, to us. God, are you sure about this? Keep reading. Verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Yeah, I'm sure. He says, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. So Paul becomes, Saul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. Carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much uh, he must suffer for my name. So, so here, here's our second point. Uh, we should never be afraid to obey God's will. That is such a cliche pastor comment. We should never be. I would be afraid to obey God's will here or God's calling. Ananias was afraid. He doesn't say he was afraid, but he was reluctant. And I don't blame him. This guy was killing Christians. And so there is a reluctancy in him to go. Are you sure, God? Um, but here's the thing. The safest place, and this actually, this actually sounds quite cliche as well. The safest place to be is actually in the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean it's not hard. That doesn't mean it's not dangerous, but it's actually the safest place. It doesn't mean you, you, you won't get hurt. It doesn't mean you may, you may die, but it's still the safest place to be. If God calls us to be there, then it's the safest place to be. We should never be afraid to obey God's will. Now, the, now the struggle that we may have is determining God's will. Ananias and, and those guys, they actually hear directly. Wouldn't that be great to actually hear it sometimes? Like a, but, but still... The point is this, do not be afraid. We should never be afraid of God's will. Sometimes Jesus is going to call you to something scary. Sometimes he's going to call you to do something scary. Sometimes he's going to call you to step out of your comfort zones. And, and whatever that is, is different for everyone. But he will do that. He will ask us to step out of our comfort zone. He will ask you to do something scary. But the safest place to be is actually in God's will. Does that mean it's easy? No. Does that mean it's not, it's not dangerous? Not at all. But if we believe that God is the creator of the universe, that if we have uh, said yes to Jesus, he's our king, he's our authority, then we, we desire to do everything he calls us to do. We desire for him, to, that voice to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Do not be afraid to obey God's will. I'm not sure who said the safest place to be. Was it um, Corrie Ten Bloom? Maybe you can research that. I think she said something like that. And she, if you know her story, she can say that. Um, just a side note here on Ananias. We wouldn't have heard of him 
if, Saul, if it wasn't for Saul's conversion. I think he's mentioned somewhere else in Acts, um, in a footnote somewhere. Um, but we, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have heard of him. But he plays an instrumental role in Saul's conversion. He brings the affirmation to Saul, which you'll see in a second. Uh, and he, Why? Because he does obey God and he does go. And here's my point here. I think it's, the important thing is not fame, but it's actually being faithful. We all want to maybe be like Saul, because Saul is the famous one, isn't he? He writes the rest of the New Testament. He, he's the one that everyone knows. In fact, most scholars, um, secular scholars, non-Christian scholars, would probably rank uh, the Apostle Paul in the top 20 most influential people in human history. Ananias isn't in that list. <laughs> but that's not the point. God doesn't, God's like, Ananias, you were faithful. So much about being famous, it's about being faithful. Let's keep reading verse 17. Let's see what happens here. We see that Ananias responds with obedience. Verse 17 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. I, I would have been scared. I'm sure he may have had some app- apprehension. Placing his hands on Saul. Now, this is really, uh, we, we could just read this and think, oh, wow, placed his hands. That's not very COVID safe. But, but what's happening here is very symbolic as well. He's placing his hands on Saul. And listen to the language. He said, brother Saul. Imagine what that would have sounded to Saul. Saul is a brother. This is a a family term, a sibling term. I reckon Saul would have sounded relief when he heard uh, Ananias refer to him as brother, had had felt his hand on his back. Uh, There's no fear, there's no condemnation. Um, Ananias maybe had wanted to grab his neck, but he didn't. (laughs) Uh, Brother saw the Lord. A brother saw the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. Uh, he has sent me so that you may again, uh, so you may see again, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. So now he could see physically; he can see spiritually. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in, inside of him. He got up and was baptised. Then it says after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's where we're going to end today, but we're going to continue that story next week. So, so he's, he's, he's welcomed into the family of God by Ananias, who is faithful. Um, he, he has felt the touch of Ananias He's then uh, receives his physical sight, and then he's baptized. Now we just think, oh, great, he's baptized. But what is baptism? It's a what? It's an outward symbol of what? An inward reality. People see. People probably would have seen Saul getting baptized. They know now that Saul is what? A Christian. The the guy that was leading. The charge against death to all Christians has now been made this public statement of faith. He's now a Christian. No one is beyond the grace of God, remember. And here's Saul who has now made this public declaration. 
drawing the line in the sand. Two quick points before we move into communion. What a great story. The first thing is God's works are always balanced. This is uh, one of the commentators, uh, Worsby, picks up on this. And I think this is really important. Because when we think about this story, what do we think about? We think about the miraculous encounter. We think about uh, Saul falling off his horse and having this, this Damascus Road experience. And sometimes that's a term that is used to explain these types of conversions. Um, but not everyone has these conversions. Some people do, but some people don't. But the, the thing about this is there's this great public miracle, but then there's this quiet meeting at a house. There's a bright light, dramatic voice from heaven, and then a visit from this ordinary guy named Ananias. I don't know if I've got this quote up here. This, this is Weisberg, and he says this, The hand of God pushed Saul from his high horse, but God used the hand of a man to bring Saul what he most needed. God spoke from heaven, but he also spoke through an obedient disciple who gave the message to Saul. The ordinary events were just as much part of the miracle as were the extraordinary. And so what he's saying is the ordinary aspects of that story are just as amazing as the extraordinary. We tend to want the extraordinary, don't we? We tend to want the Damascus Road experience because it, it looks good, it feels good, and then we surely know, but there's an aspect of this, you know what, that's just as extraordinary, and that's just in the ordinary. The ordinary faithfulness of Ananias. The ordinary faithfulness of Ananias to just go to be that God is working in the extraordinary, but also the ordinary. We may not all have a conversion, Damascus Road conversion like Saul, but our, our conversions could be similar. We, we, we all have an encounter with Jesus. We all repent and ask for forgiveness. And they're all, we all get the Holy Spirit. And then we're all given a, a gift or a, a task to do. We're not all going to be called apostles to the Gentiles, like, like Saul, but we all do get a gift and a task to do. And that last point is this, we must never underestimate the value of one person brought to Christ. Jesus tells a great story of the 99 and, and one go, the sheep goes and, and the shepherd goes to get that one sheep. We should never underestimate the value of that one person coming to know Christ because we don't even, one, because we're just to preach the gospel and sow seed wherever we go, but two, we don't know what that plan is for that one person. Peter preached and thousands and thousands of people became Christians. Philip, which we looked at uh, last two weeks, uh, saw a great harvest in, in Samaria. But Ananias, he was sent to how many people? One person. That one man uh, would, would say yes to Jesus. But that one man went on to do what? Become the greatest evangelist the world has ever seen. Does anyone know who this guy is? You won't. If anyone does, I'll fall off this stool. Mordecai Ham. I don't know if you've heard it. Oh, <laughs> Mordecai Ham. Does anyone know who this guy is? Gee, Billy Graham's got nice hair. Doesn't he? Yeah, everyone's like, yeah. Well, we know who Billy Graham is, don't we? Billy Graham uh, preached the gospel to a billion people, they reckon, over his life. Packed stadiums. Well, Mordecai Ham 
Billy Graham became a Christian through Mordecai Ham's ministry. Here's the two of them together. Uh, Billy a little bit taller than Mordecai. Um, no one knows who Mordecai Ham is. But Mordecai's preaching the gospel, Billy Graham becomes a Christian, and Billy Graham then goes on to preach to billions. No one knows really who Ananias is, but most people, Christians, even non-Christians, know who the Apostle Paul is. Here's my point. Uh, we, we, need, we, we all need to be like Mordecai Ham. Most of us are not going to be Billy Graham's. And that's okay. It's 100% okay. We are called to be faithful to live out our life in obedience and just do what God calls us to do, to be like Mordecai Ham. And we don't know what seed, the seed that we're sowing may be raising up a Billy Graham. Our job is to be like Mordecai Ham, to be like Ananias, to be faithful to that calling. We're going to go into a time of communion now. And uh, as we look at this, this good news story, this, this conversion from, from Saul, uh, for Saul on the road to Damascus, it's a conversion of goodness. Look at this. This is the words of Paul. This is what he writes about himself as I hear people opening their communion wrappers. If you're watching online, you can get your the communion elements ready. We, we will go into that in a second. These are the words of Paul. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. No one is beyond the, God's grace, is what he's saying. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. He's saying that Jesus came to pay the price for sinners, the worst of which is he, and has shown him mercy. Manning Clark, who was a former Australian of the year, in his autobiography, he, the, the book called The Quest for Grace, he writes this. I don't know, I don't know if he was a Christian. He um, says he looked back over his life and was pained by his memories of times he acted poorly. Maybe you can relate to this. He described these moments that come back to him. When dreams play on the private picture screen of my mind, the shameful moments of the past. I don't know if you, if you sometimes when you stop and you think, and you think, oh man, why did I say that? Why did I act like that? Why am I living like this? That's what this man in Clark is, is, is doing, but he doesn't necessarily know what the, the answer to that should be. Paul, Saul, knows that. He looks back and says, gee, my life was bad. But praise Jesus that he forgives me. That is goodness. That is good news. So this morning, as we, as we take communion, communion in my pocket, 
I'm going to ask you just to stop and reflect on the amazing grace that we're offered. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I'm going to get you to take the, the bit of bread that re, re, represents the body of Jesus. I'm going to get you to take that now or in your own time. I'll give you a little bit to just reflect. And then in a little while, we're going to take the, the, the wine or the grape juice, which reflects his blood. So just sit and reflect. Take the bread. And then we will drink together when I call us to. Let's stand. I like it when we stand. If you can stand, if you can't, don't. I think there's something about us standing together and drinking. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. That's why we're drinking this. Of whom I am the worst. Of whom I am one. We're all sinners. But for the very reason I was shown mercy, so then me, the worst of the sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's drink together. Most gracious Father, Thank you. Thank you that no one is beyond your grace, the grace of God. Thank you that those words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, the saved a wretch like me, I was once lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Thank you for the truth of those words whether we're a slave trade seller, whether we're a persecutor of Christians, whether we're a blasphemer, whether we're an adulterer, whether we're a, or whatever we are, Lord, a coveter, a person full of anger or jealousy, your blood, your price, your life pays for that, Father. Father, we pray that we would be people who We'll never be afraid to obey your will. Help us to have that faith to do that, Lord. Father, I pray also that we'd be a, a people individually and as a church that would never underestimate the value of one person coming to know you. We pray that you'd go before us, lead us, guide us in everything that we do. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, 
and then God bless.